0: Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Be seated. Welcome to Next Community Church. My name's Joe, one of the pastors here, and want to say uh, good morning to you, especially if you're a guest, you're a visitor. We extend a warm welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. We pray that you feel welcomed here. Say good morning to those of you at home as well watching. we're, we're glad that you're here. There's, a, there's an invite card right in front of you, or a communication card. Would you fill that out for us? Let us know that you're here. Bring it up front after the service. We've got a gift we want to give to you Just say thanks for being here, and uh, we pray that you'd be blessed um, and know more than anything how much God loves you, and so thanks for being here. Um, have you ever thought about how, how things are going to go in the end, like in the end end? Um, how, how is the world going to end? I don't know how often you think about that. What will the end of the world look like? Um, We begin a a section, the reason I bring that up is because we begin a section in in Thessalonians in our series that we've been in for the last couple of months called Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World and where the Apostle Paul now starts talking about the end. And he starts talking about um, how how things are going to go and he talks about things like the second coming of Christ and 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 the rapture and the tribulation period and all these kind of end times things and and we're going to take time today and define those things and um, talk about them and uh, we're, we're entering this section where Paul is going to finish chapter four and begin chapter five so we're going to spend three weeks talking about um The end, because that's what comes next in Thessalonians, and that's what God wants us to know. Paul writes in the very beginning, he says, I I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about these things. He wants us to know about these things. And so um, I, I I don't know where you're at when it comes to talking about, like, revelation and end times things and end of the world things. I find that people usually fall into one of two categories, right? One is they usually... Because, especially if you're a believer, you've been reading the scriptures, you follow the scriptures, you know that this stuff is not easy stuff. There's a lot to unpack, and it can be confusing. There's lots of symbolism and imagery, and right, they're writing 2,000 years ago about something that's going to happen in the future, and and so it's kind of hard to put into today's English what they were writing about 2,000 years ago. The the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote Revelation 95 A.D. when he was exiled to to the little Greek island of Patmos. He says in the beginning, Revelation 1, that God gave him a vision of all this and he's just writing it down. He's writing down, that's, that's the name of the book, Revelation. God revealed to him how things are gonna go in the end. And he just didn't have words for like, he didn't know what a helicopter was, right? And so like, you know, he's seeing things. And so he uses imagery and talks about dragons and things like this. And so, you know, I mean, listen, if you would have told somebody a hundred years ago, you're going to take this little device, put it up to your ear, and you're going to be able to talk to anybody, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, they would have been like, what? Right? That, 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 That would not have, that would have not been in their mindset. So, so all that to say, when it comes to end times, people some people fall in this category like, I don't like it, we don't understand it, it's too confusing, it's all gonna happen anyway, we can't control it, we can't change it, let's just not talk about it, right? You can be on this camp, or you can be in the camp over here where you find it fascinating and like, you love end times, and you're kind of, if you're to be honest with yourself, a little obsessed with it, and you're always thinking about it, and you're so future-minded. Some people are like, can you just come back to the present sometimes? Like, right, let's come back to the present. So what I've found that it's good to have balance, right, with, with this, is that um, you don't want to be so future-minded that you're no presently good, right? And so you, you don't want to be so, well, it doesn't really, we can't, because uh, the Bible talks about it. So much of scripture is prophecy, right? More than half of scripture is is prophecy minded. And, and so um, you don't want to be one that says, no, we can't control it. We, it's too hard to understand. I don't want to think about it. God tells us to think about it. As a matter of fact, he's, he's going to say Paul twice here in 10 verses. Is going to, he's going to talk about end times things, and then he has a concluding statement, like in verse 18. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words, right? That's, that's the idea. It's like when you think about Jesus coming back, when you think about the end, this should be for the follower of Jesus an encouragement, not not a, oh I love this world and I there's so many things yet I didn't get to experience and I, I don't or I'm scared of that or that it brings fear or worry or trepidation like when you understand this is why God wants you to understand when you understand what's going to happen and you understand this is not our home this is not our home that he has a future home prepared for us and he's going to wrap things up with this current program and he's got a whole new better program for us right Paul gets done talking about it in verse 18 and says so when Encourage one another with these words. Look forward to the hope and the return of Christ. And then in the middle of chapter 5, he gets done talking. He says it again, 11 verses later. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. So this kind of conversation and this topic of conversation should be words that bring encouragement to each other. And we build each other up to look forward to that day. When you look around at this world and you see everything that is just broken and busted and jacked up about this world, and you're just like, Jesus, come take us home now, right? It's just a reminder to us of all the pain and all the suffering and all the evil and all the hate that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And God has a program, and he's going to bring an end to all this, and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus is going to make everything right that we've made wrong so I, I don't know about you. I look forward to those days. I look forward to Jesus coming back. I long for that days. Not in a kind of depressed, suicidal kind of way where I just can't wait to leave here. But the reality is, is that I recognize the scriptures teach us there's something so much better coming. The Apostle Paul says that no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has for those who love him. And so... I take him at his word. I believe that. And so... Um, so we'll spend the next three weeks, and then we'll, we'll, we'll intro today. We're, I'm going to give you defin- we're going to do some definitions today, so we to make sure we're all on the same page. We're going to read Thessalonians, give you some definitions. Pastor Roush is back. Ryan Roush is back from his sabbatical. He's going to be sharing next week. We'll push pause on Thessalonians. God's just done some incredible things that um, in His heart and that He's revealed to, to Ryan. He's going to share with you guys next week. You're going to be encouraged, I know. And then I'll come back, and then we're going to do two more weeks through Thessalonians on this end time stuff. We're going to get the smart board out. We're going to put up our timeline. We're going to try and figure all this out. And so, um, so it's going to be good. All right. So you guys got your Bibles, bring your Bibles to church. If you're new, you get a pass. If you're not new, come on, bring your Bibles to church. We're going to use them every week. Otherwise we'll put them on the screens. Sorry, I'm not convicted. I'm not condemning you. Maybe a little bit, just a little, maybe feel a little bit, maybe just a little bit. First Thessalonians chapter four is where we're at. First Thessalonians four and verse 13 is where we're going to pick up. Um, Last week, Paul Paul talked to the church. He's talking to the church. Remember what he said to the church last week? Church, you got to love each other. you got to love one another. you got to love, love, love. Make sure that you love in here because out there they're looking to see is it any different in here. Oh, and then he gives three more little instructions. He said, by the way, lead a quiet life. Don't be getting all up in everybody's business. That's the second thing. He said, mind your own business. Remember this last week, y'all? Remember when Paul said, mind your own business? And then he said get a job, work hard, work, work with your hands, right? We we talked about how The Thessalonians in this end times discussion, they believed it. They believed Jesus was coming back like at any moment. So they quit their jobs. They quit and they went out into the community and they started getting in everyone's business and telling them Jesus is coming, all that. And Paul's like, no, 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 stop, stop. Go back to your boss. Ask for your job back. You got to get your job. Stop getting all up in everybody's business, right? And like, listen, the way that we're going to love, 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 church, love in here. And so now he goes on and says, now... I'll answer your questions about the end. And so that's what he does now. He's going to answer their questions about the end. And their main question was they had loved ones that died. And now they've, they've died. They're in the ground or they're in a cave. And they're like, well, what if Jesus comes back and what about... What about Aunt Susie and, 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 and what's going to happen to her? And so Paul is going to write to them about the return of Christ and the rapture of the church and what happens to those who have died and what happens to those of us that are still left standing around. And that's what he's going to talk about next. So, chapter 4, verse 13. Here we go. Long intro. I'm already nine minutes. That's a long nine-minute intro. That's a long intro. All right. You all all right, everybody? All right. All right. Um we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. We don't want you to, right? You shouldn't be over here in this camp. Ah, uh, we can't know it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Interesting. You know what this word is for uninformed? The Greek word for knowing, knowledge, is gnosis, gnosis. Um, anytime you want to make the opposite of something in Greek, you put the prefix a in front of it. So a Gnosis. Is without knowledge. Does it sound like another word that we use in our English language? Agnostic. Agnostic. You know what an agnostic is? An agnostic person? Someone who says, we, we can't know. We can't know about God. We don't know. An atheist, an atheist, theism is God. Put the prefix a in front of it. Actually, for you, it would be like this. A in front of it, right? It, it, atheism, a is there is no God. Ah, theism is there is no God, right? The, the word here, we don't want you to be uninformed, is agnosis. We don't want you to say you can't know. We don't want you to be ignorant. You, you can know, right? So this is, what, this is the heart. So if you lean more, I, for a lot of my life, I lean this way over here. I'm just like, man, it's so, God's going to work it all out. I'll just go along for the ride, right? And he's like, no, no, I want you to know because what you know impacts how you should live now. Right. And so he says, we want you to be, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be agnostic. It's literally the word agnostic. We don't want you to be agnostic, saying you can't know, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. This idea of sleep is just a euphemism. It's, it's used in a lot of cultures to just somebody who's died. They've, they've fallen asleep. Right. Um, and so, Um, Paul's saying, I don't want you guys to be worried about those that have died, those that have fallen asleep. Here's why you shouldn't worry about it. Like, like we don't have any hope. Verse 14, he says, because if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So if you are In Jesus, through Jesus, if you know Jesus, the hope of eternal life all comes by and through and with Jesus. And this is what he's saying. If Jesus died, was in the ground, and rose again to eternal life, then listen, those that are in Jesus and through Jesus, the same thing is going to happen. But listen, he says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so when... When Jesus, this is, when we put it on the timeline, I want you to remember this verse. We'll come back to it next week. When we put it on the timeline, when Jesus returns at his second coming, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So somehow, we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, somehow they've got to get up in order for God to bring them with him. There's a lot of verses in scripture. We're going to look at another one today in Revelation about how those who are followers of Jesus that have died will come back with Christ in his second coming. We'll talk about it more. If you're like, I'm confused, hang in there. We'll talk about it more. right? And so he goes on and says this, we say this to you by a word from the Lord. Now he's going to talk about how this is all going to work. Those who have died. What about us that are still here? He says, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's going to be this one-two, one-two kind of combination. Those who have died, those who are still alive. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. Remember the trumpet the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Not all dead, the dead in Christ. Those who have died from the time of the cross until today, until whenever this event takes place where Jesus comes back. They rise first, right? Then, verse 17, same breath, then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So this is not Jesus coming all the way back down to the earth and then reigning as a king. In his second coming, there's dozens of passages that describe Jesus coming all the way back So this is a different event where actually he doesn't come all the way down. He kind of stops in the clouds and we go up to him. The verse says that we're caught up to him. Scholars and theologians call this event the rapture. We're going to define it and talk about it. We meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be always with the Lord. Verse 18, here's the one we looked at. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So if you're sitting here like, this sounds trippy man this is like weird stuff him coming down clouds dead rising us going up and all this. like listen when you understand the Lord's program and how it's going to work you get to the end and you're so encouraged you're like I'm so glad God is in control I'm so glad God has a plan and that I get to be a part of it if you're in Christ that's an encouragement this should give you great hope this should give you great joy that's what he actually says in the very beginning don't be grieving like those who have no hope. My mom passed away ten years ago, last month, and I remember we were by her gravesite for the funeral. And I'm the oldest of three. My middle sister does not did not go the family path of following God, believing in Jesus, going to church. She wanted nothing to do with all of it. And she's standing there, and she's a sobbing mess. And, and I'm there, and I know, because my mom believed in Jesus, had a faith in Jesus, had a relationship with Jesus, I know she's with Jesus. And I know she's not in this dirt grave that we're standing here at. And she looks over at me, and she's like, why are you not more upset? And I said, because I know that she's home with Jesus, and I'm going to see her again. And she would want nothing more than to see you too. She didn't want to hear it. And it wasn't the time for her to come to know Jesus. But this is what Paul says. We should not. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't be sad and you don't grieve when you lose a loved one. It's very painful. Jesus grieved. When Lazarus died, it says Jesus wept. And so even though he knew he was going to raise him again. And so we grieve. But Paul says you don't grieve like those who have no hope. You know that this is just temporary. All of this is just temporary. I know I'm going to see my mom again. And so we don't grieve, Paul says, like those who have no hope. So be encouraged, but keep us all in mind. This is not our home. There's a plan that God's working out. And so here's what we're going to do. Since we're going to be in this section of Thessalonians for the next couple of weeks... I want to define some terms to make sure that when I say a word or when the Bible says a word, you know what it means. I know what it means. We all know what it means. And I'm saying what you think I'm saying. And so we're going to define some terms. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I to encourage you to write these things down. Um, we don't give notes. I've told you before. You can get journals, write things down. I think it's good to take notes. It helps you to remember. It helps you to stay engaged. It helps you not fall asleep. It helps you to a month from now be like, oh yeah, we talked about what did God show me, teach me. So I think it's a good idea. Um, you can take a picture of it with. Your your phone. We'll put it up there. Some of the definitions are a little wordy if you can't write fast. Uh, What I told the Saturday night crowd is we'll put all these on social media too, so you can grab screenshots of them if you want. But I think this is important because Paul said, I don't want you to be agnoso. I don't want you to be agnostic, I don't want you to be uninformed about this, so I want to inform you. So, definitions, alright, let's define some terms, and then next week we'll get the smart board out, or excuse me, two weeks from now, and we'll put all these words up on the smart board and we'll construct a timeline as best as we can as to here's what we think is going to happen. Alright, so... Let's define some terms. Here's the first term that this verse is talking about. It doesn't use this word, but it's describing this word. And the word is resurrection. The the resurrection. Here's the resurrection. The work of God in which believers are resurrected to eternal life with him and non-believers are resurrected to eternal separation or eternal punishment apart from him. And so... Everybody is going to, who dies is going to be resurrected. Right? This is taught in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. The whole Bible teaches this. Right? Just a couple of verses real quick. Um, if you didn't get it down, it's okay. We're going to move on and we'll post it again on our social media. Daniel 12 says this, verse 2. Daniel says, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt, right? There is going to be a resurrection. When you die, you don't go in the dirt and stay there, that everybody is going to live forever. That is the teaching of the Bible. And you will live, you will be resurrected and live forever in one of two places, either with the Lord or apart from the Lord. The worst thing that the Lord can do, I've said this multiple times, by the way, it determines where you go. Make sure you understand this. People, right, it does not depend upon, well, I tried to be good here. I tried to do good. I tried to do good. If we could do good enough to be forever with the Lord, then the Lord didn't have to send his son, Jesus, right? So it has to do with, did you say yes to Jesus now? Are you in Christ now? Are you have a relationship with Christ now? Not just belief in him, because listen, listen, The Bible says the demons believe in Jesus. They believe he's real. They believe he's the son of God. They have not put their faith in him, received him as savior. They don't love him. They don't walk with him. They don't want to follow him. They're not in relationship with him. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christ is in you. And so... Um, that is the determining factor of whether you're going to spend forever with God or, or forever in punishment apart from God. The worst thing God could make you do is spend forever with him was while you're down here, you didn't want Jesus, you rejected Jesus, you don't want to follow Jesus, you don't want to believe in Jesus, you don't want to obey Jesus, then the The worst hell for you would be God to make you spend forever and eternity with Jesus. Be like, why would I want to do that to you? You didn't want him now for your 70 years down here. Why am I going to have you have 700 million years up there with him? And so, basically, how is God giving you what you want forever without Jesus? Punishment apart from God. Revelation chapter 20 says this. I saw a great white throne one seated on. This is the next, the the third to last chapter in Revelation at the final judgment. Listen, there's one judge in this whole world. His name is King Jesus. He's going to sit on his throne and he's going to judge. Earth and heaven fled from his presence. God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. This heaven and this earth is going to be destroyed. It says in Peter, God's going to destroy it by fire. It's going to burn up Back in Genesis, he gave us a promise he would never destroy the earth again by flood. He gave us the rainbow as a promise of that. And now God's going to make a new heaven in Revelation, a new heaven, a new earth. This is important because in order for you to live in the new heaven, new earth, you need to have a new body, which means you have to have an old body that's resurrected into a new body. That's how this all ties in. Heaven and earth fled from his presence. New heaven, new earth. There was no place found for the old ones. I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so listen, this is going to be the most important thing. If you get nothing else out of today after all these terms and rapture and second coming and tribulation and end times and all this stuff that's going on. If you get nothing else, here's the most important thing you need to hear today. Is your name for sure written in the book of life? Do you know Jesus? It's his book. And if you've said yes to him, then he's taken out his pen and he's written your name in his book. So when that day comes, he will know here. Not yeah. not, you just, oh, I, when I was nine, I prayed some prayer, and then you lived like the devil for the next 40 years, right? No, 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 that you are, Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, you have a relationship with him, your name in the book of life, right? So, um, I'm going to spend the most time here in resurrection, because it's the most confusing thing, or one of the most confusing things. Um, two things I want to tell you about the resurrection, okay? First is, we're talking about the resurrection happening both those that are in Christ and those that don't believe in Christ, resurrected. Those resurrections happen separately. right? We just read how when Christ comes back for this event called the rapture, it doesn't come all the way down to earth, comes back, the dead in Christ rise first. And so we see that for the Christians, we are resurrected first. Right? We're resurrected first at different stages. And I'll talk about that as we put the timeline together next week. There's different stages that the Christians are resurrected. The non-Christians or the non-believers who've rejected God stay in the dirt all the way till the end here in Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne where God resurrects all of the unbelievers and they all stand before the throne of Jesus. And like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Only then it's too late. When they stand before the king, they stand before the judge, they've got no answer. they're standing before the judge who was the payment for their sin that they rejected and did not accept and so um so two things about the resurrection one one the believing resurrection and the non-believing resurrection happens separately believers happens first unbelievers happens here at the end of time and for the believers resurrection it happens in stages and again, I'll put that on the timeline next week. So just push pause there. You'll be like, I don't understand that. How's that happened? Because what about the Old Testament saints who died? And, 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 and so we're going to talk about that next week, All right. So, or two weeks from now. So you got to come back. You got to come back. All right. So next definition, moving faster, faster, listen faster. Here we go. Um, rapture. We got to talk about the rapture. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that next week. What's that? This rapture is the glorious event in which Jesus Christ comes back and God snatches away all believers from the earth where we meet Jesus in the sky, right? Um, A lot of critics want to say the rapture doesn't um, happen or they say the word rapture isn't even in the Bible, which is just a bad excuse for something. It's really bad because you know what other word isn't in the Bible? Bible, it's not in the Bible. The, the word Bible's not in the Bible, right? But it doesn't mean that we don't, it's not real. Doesn't mean we don't have a Bible. Just because the word isn't in there. And in fact, the word rapture is in the Bible. It's just not there in our English. If you our verse, you can go up to I think the next slide is a verse, is it not? Yeah, yeah. So this, our verse here, listen, in Thessalonians is the prominent most um uh, elevated verse in all of the Bible that describes the rapture. This verse is where we get the word rapture from. Our verse here in First Thessalonians. We who are still alive, right, not in the ground, still alive, will be caught up Together. Now, a little bit of, don't put up that next slide just yet. Let me talk about it, then we'll put it up. Um, The word caught up, the the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, which is why I often give you Greek words because they have rich meaning behind them. The Greek word for caught up here is harpazo. Harpazo. Um, The Bible was originally written in Greek, and then 400 years later, a guy named Jerome translated the Bible from the Greek, the New Testament Greek, into Latin which is what our our Catholic friends still use, the Latin Vulgate. That was the name of his translation, the Latin Vulgate. They still read from the Latin and speak the Latin. 400 AD, Jerome translated into the Latin. There's a Latin word here for caught up or a Greek word is harpazo. The Latin word is rapio. Sounds a little bit like Rapture now you can put up that next slide. Here's, here's, here's what that looks like. Caught up, snatch away, Greek word harpazo, Latin words rapture. It's there. The word rapture is in the Bible. It's just not in English. It's, it's in Latin. So it's, it's the word that has been carried on through and disused for the last 1,600 years when we talk about the rapture that comes from the Latin rapio. It means to be snatched away, to be caught up. And so the picture of the rapture is not Jesus coming all the way down to the earth, but it's rather Jesus coming back. And the Bible talks about this. Jesus talks about this. Jesus talked about his own coming back, right? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this. There's going to be two men in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken and one will be left. Verse 42, therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So in- instantly, I don't know how many millions, I don't know who are real believers in Jesus Christ, true followers of Jesus, or who just say it, but he knows, he knows who are his, but instantly millions of people in the world are just gonna disappear. you imagine the, the, the chaos and the confusion You you thought the last couple years were crazy town. You you haven't seen anything yet until millions of people just all of a sudden disappear, which is then going to set the stage for the worst seven-year period that the world has ever seen. Complete confusion, complete chaos. It's going to set the stage for this very slick and Satan-empowered one-world leader to come and to unite everybody together, under the perfect storm of, let's create this one world government, we'll have this one world economy. He's going to make a treaty with Israel and have supposed peace in the Middle East. I mean, it's going to seem like he's this, this unbelievable savior. Oh, by the way, you gotta, you got you to get this mark in order to buy and sell and trade. And we'll define this period, we'll talk about this period of time. It's called the tribulation in the Bible. We'll talk about it more again in two weeks. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, reading about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and one world government, one world economy. And I remember thinking, that's like, that's crazy. That's going to be like in like 2300s or something like that. That's right. And then we experienced the last two years. And I'm like that. It could happen now. Everything is in place now. Is it not, church? You hear me? I'm not up here being political. I'm trying to be biblical. I'm not making a political statement. I'm not saying Biden's the Antichrist. I'm not saying if you got the vaccine, that's the mark of the beast. I don't think that's at all. But we did have the leader of the free world tell you, if you didn't get this thing, you're going to lose your job which is like a half a step away from saying, if you don't get this mark, you can't buy yourself. So again, this is not a political statement. I'm just saying this stage is set. Is it not the stage is set? As a kid 30 years ago, you're like, how is this going to happen? Today, I'm like, oh, I see how it's going to happen. It's not, it's not a, it doesn't take much of an imagination at all to even figure out how it's going to happen. And so this is why, church, you and I should have an urgency Because we don't know when our Jesus is coming back. We don't know when the Bible pictures this. We're going to talk more about it in two weeks. When the groom comes back for his, who are we? His bride. You know that imagery is there in the Bible? Of the groom coming for his bride and taking his bride. And in the Galilean wedding... The weddings back then were not like weddings today. We're going we're gonna to unpack all this in two weeks. It's so beautiful. It's so unbelievable. In a Galilean wedding, the bride didn't know when the groom was going to show up for her. They had to be ready. That's why Jesus told the parable about the ten virgins, and you had to have your oil ready and your wicks ready. Remember that parable? We'll look at it in two weeks. But Jesus said, you got to be ready. Why? Because they weren't ready because they didn't know when the groom was coming back to celebrate. And this is, it's all a picture of the rapture. You don't know when the groom is coming back for the bride. We've got to be ready. I'm praying for my sister who still wants nothing to do. I I thought, I said this last night in a Saturday night service. I'm, I'm going to write her a note. Write your loved ones a note. This might sound crazy. Write them a note. Put it in an envelope. Be like, listen, you don't maybe want to read this now. You can read it now. Save it. If all of a sudden I suddenly disappear, open this envelope. In emergency, break the glass and read it. It will explain what's happening. Tell them about Jesus. Because they wouldn't hear you now face to face when millions of Christians disappear from the earth. Maybe then they will hear. And this sounds almost fairy tale Like this is like crazy Hollywood. This is, it's all here in scripture. By the way, everything that God said was going to happen in the hundreds of prophecies. Guess what? God is batting. He's batting a thousand. God's batting. He's. It, it's all happened exactly the way he said, and it's going to continue to happen. And so, um, all right. Definition. Next one. Glorification. Let's talk about this. What's glorification? Glorification is when you and I get new bodies. Praise the Lord, right? We get new bodies. Why? Because our earthly, temporary, wearing down, breaking down bodies can't inherit an eternal glory place. The physical can't inherit the spiritual. And so God has to give you a new glorified body. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, went in the grave, three days later, rose again. And then remember he walked around the earth for weeks and he met people and they didn't really recognize him, but then they did recognize him. And do you remember this? He and his glorified body, <laughs> the disciples were in the room and then what happened? Anyone remember the story? Jesus showed up. All of a sudden, poof, he's there, he's in the room. So apparently in your glorified bodies, because Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, he's the first resurrected to have the real glorified body, Jesus was, he just shows up in the room, and it's amazing. They're like, Jesus. And then he leaves. And then Thomas walks in the room. And they're like, dude, you missed it. He was just here. And he's like, no, he wasn't. Until I put my fingers in here and here, I'm not going to believe. And then later, Jesus shows up again. And he's like, Thomas, come here. Remember that guy, Thomas? Right? Well, that was, that was Jesus in his glorified body. We're going to get a glorified body. The Bible talks about this. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. Paul says this is a mystery. They didn't get it all back then. We don't get it all today. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. We won't know, but we will all be changed. What's going to happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last, what? Remember, I told you to remember that trumpet? The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, they're going to get their new bodies, and then we will be changed. This is a different, this is not Thessalonians, this is a different part of the Bible talking about the same event. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. I got to get my new permanent heavenly body that will never break down, that will never need a knee replacement, that will never get cancer, that will never be sick. All of this is what God has planned for his kids as they live with him forever in glory. You get a glorified body to experience glory. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Oh, I can't wait. Some of you are like, amen, give me that glorified body now. Can I get an advancement? Can I get an advance? All right? right. Yeah. Let's talk about the tribulation period. The tribulation period is after this rapture event happens, Dead in Christ, rise first, then we change. We meet the Lord in the air. Again, I keep telling you two weeks. I mean it, two weeks, two, three weeks. We're going to talk about it for a couple weeks. We go up into heaven, and literally all hell breaks loose down here. And it's called the tribulation period. It's got lots of names in scripture. Um, It's called the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel talks about it. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Where God starts dealing with national Israel again and, and is the final punishment for her thousands of years of rebellion in the Old Testament. And God also pours out judgment on the unbelieving world. Go ahead, put up the slide for tribulation. Let me give you the definition of it. It's a future seven-year period of time when God will finish his discipline of Israel and execute his judgment of the unbelieving world. It's talked about in the Old Testament. It's talked about in the New Testament. This is when the Antichrist rises up. When all hell is breaking loose down here. When millions of people disappear. He's going to kind of be the answer. He's going to be the Savior. And we'll talk... Uh, we'll just gonna, we're just we're going to talk about it in two weeks. We're going gonna, gonna to put it on the board, and we're going to talk about how it's going to seem okay for the first couple of years, and then he makes a treaty with Israel, and he he breaks the treaty with Israel and starts attacking Israel, and if things are getting bad, meanwhile God is pouring out judgments on the earth. If you ever want to really figure out what it's going to be like, during read Revelation six to sixteen is God pouring out judgment. It's it's a metaphor. There's seven trumpets that are blown, seven bowls that are poured out on the earth, and seven seals or scrolls that are opened up, all with judgment, seven, seven, seven judgments, 21 judgments God pours out on the earth during these seven years. Millions are going to die. It's going to be a horrible time to be here on the earth. And... The way it ends is the king comes back. The king then returns, not and hangs out in the clouds, that's the rapture, but comes all the way back to earth, defeats the physical enemies of earth in a final battle that's called Armageddon, and then reigns as a conquering king here on the earth. And, and this is what's challenging sometimes about the scripture. While you can't be a, just a lazy, casual Bible reader, because it, it will be hard for you to understand, is that in the Bible, there are verses that describe his first coming, and there are verses that describe his second coming. The, the Jewish people... We're looking for this second coming kind of guy that was going to be a king, a conquering king, someone that was going to kick butt, take names, overthrow Rome, give them their freedom back, restore Israel to her former glory under the days of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David. Let's get that Israel back. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, born of this virgin, no-name woman named Mary in a no-name town of Bethlehem, grows up in obscurity. All of a sudden, he's 30. He shows up on the scene and says, I'm the son of God. They're like, no, 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 no. We, we got a picture of the son of God. Well, they, they were reading the second coming of Christ verses, not, not the first ones, in Isaiah. Like in Isaiah, where he said, he's going to be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He's going to be silent before his shears, right? They missed it. And and so, when you're reading scripture, you got to, you, you got you to, gotta, be a good student of scripture and understand. He's talking about Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. And then to make it even just a little bit more tricky and confusing, in the New Testament, there's verses that talk about his rapture where he comes partially down and takes us up with him, and then verses that are talking about his second coming, where he literally returns to the earth and reigns. And they sound the same, and sometimes the authors are talking about similar events, all about all of this end time stuff. Sometimes they're talking about the rapture, sometimes they're talking about the second coming, you're like, I can't figure out what's going to be talked about. And it can get confusing, which is why you gotta unpack some of this. And we want to help you with this. So we made a chart. If you can throw up that chart and um, we'll finish with this chart. I want to make sure that you understand the difference between these two events. There are people out there that say it's one event. It's the same thing. I, I believe that there's such differences. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, like I'm going to give you 10 of them that they can't be describing the same event. And then Christians love to argue about the timing of the event of the rapture. Is it before the tribulation? That's called the pre-tribulation. Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Or pre-wrath rapture is the end of the tribulation? And I believe, with everything within me, that it's before the tribulation happens. But there are good, godly people that believe otherwise. And we're not going to fight over it. They're just free to be wrong, Okay. And so (laughs) the rapture. We'll talk about the rapture first i'm kidding I'm kidding a little bit all right so let's let me just do this all right um, and then let's have worship team you come as I'm going through this chart okay um, again we'll put this it's going to be a lot to write. you can take a picture when it's all done okay? We'll put it on social media. I want you to see this. Let's talk about the rapture first. The rapture is this stealth event, right? It's going to happen suddenly, quickly, um, and it's going to be Christ seen only by us believers as we go to meet him in the air. When the second coming of Christ is Christ coming all the way down, and he comes, you can read about it, Revelation 19, he comes riding in on a white horse, right? And he's coming back as the king. The rapture Christ comes for his bride and takes us to heaven. The second coming, Christ returns with his bride. And we reign for a thousand years. Read Revelation 19. It says that he comes and he comes with his saints. And guess what else it says? You get a white horse too. So you better start taking some lessons, y'all. You better get your riding boots, get your stirrups out. We come back with him. It's unbelievable. The rapture, believers are rescued from wrath. I believe that's the, because the, the, the tribulation period is God pouring out wrath. We're going to read a verse in First Thessalonians next week in the middle of all this that says, God's not pouring out wrath on you. Why? Who already drank our cup of wrath that we deserve? Jesus, our elder brother, took the Father's wrath. Remember, he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening? I think in that moment, God was pouring out the wrath of all of the sins and all of the guilt and all the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve and everybody who's ever sinned in the history of the world. Jesus is taking on him. He drank the cup of his father. Remember, he's in the garden, and he's praying, and he's sweating drops of blood, and he says, Father, if there's any other way for this what to pass? This cup, if there's any way for this cup to pass, what's talking about? He's talking about the cup of wrath, the cup of suffering that was about to happen. And so Jesus already took our cup. He already took our wrath. So that's why, and yes, one of many reasons why I believe In a pre-tribulational rapture, that this is Jesus' bride, he's going to come, he's going to take his bride out of here before it gets crazy town. Second coming, we come back and we rule with Christ. The rapture begins a time of great distress on the earth. When Jesus comes back, the second coming, it begins a time of great peace on earth. He literally returns to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And he literally reigns. It's a time of great peace and prosperity on the earth after a time of crazy town of the seven years of tribulation. The verses in the Old Testament where it says, well, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. And it's gonna be, That's not talking about heaven. That, that's talking about this time when Christ comes back and reigns for a thousand years. We're going to be there in our glorified bodies. Like, how are we going to live a thousand years? Do you remember, you get your glorified body. You're going to be there reigning with Jesus. It's going to be Amazing. The rapture, Christ comes in the air, stops in the clouds. The second coming of Christ, he comes all the way back to the earth, down to the Mount of Olives. If you ever go to Israel, you should go. Try if you can go. Start putting your money in the cookie jar. Save up for Israel. It's an amazing job. You will go and you will stand on the Mount of Olives and you're like, this is where he went up. He went up at the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1 and he's going to return at the same place. And the rapture, Christ comes in the clouds. The second coming, Christ comes on a white horse. The rapture is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. Literally, he could come back for his bride at any time. Then when that happens, you kind of got a marker. You kind of start your stopwatch, and you kind of know then the second coming is coming about some seven years later after the tribulation period, so there's signs. Jesus said there's going to be all these signs. He's talking about the second coming. The rapture, there's no signs that precede it. The second coming has lots of signs that precede it. The rapture is a thing of great joy for believers. Jesus is snatching us up out of here. Thank you, Lord, take us home. But the second coming is going to be a time of great mourning for unbelievers when they see Jesus coming. It's, oh, no. And then lastly, the rapture occurs prior, I believe. We'll talk about this next week to the beginning of the tribulation. The second coming occurs at the end of the tribulation. So again, we'll put all this on the timeline. Be encouraged by these words. Don't be freaked out. Don't be afraid. Don't say earthly things temporary human things like, Oh no, but wait, I want to, I want to see my daughter get married first. Like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand how amazing when you see what you're going to have. It's like saying, Oh, I want to hold on to this little sliver of beef jerky when God's got a prime filet for you over here. It's like, what, what? No, you don't. You don't even know. You don't even know. And so have great hope, have great encouragement and we should have urgency. Church, we should wake wake up to know that all this is real. And all this is really going to happen. And we got, a, we got a job to do while he's left us down. We're not on vacation down here. This is not about building your best life now. It's not about building your kingdom. It's not about your comfort and your happiness and your joy. It's all about him and the mission he's left us down here. So we got a job to do. Let's pray like crazy. Let's love like crazy. Let's serve like crazy. Let's preach Jesus like crazy. God, help us in this. Thank you that you're in control and you have the answers. We love you. We worship you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.